morning or afternoon or evening it doesn't matter time is irrelevant welcome to the third episode of you can check out any time you like but you can never leave where we listen to eagle songs and cry just kidding what we actually do is talk about escapism and cry this episode story is ved vyasa's interpretation of shakuntala which kalidas and countless others have interpreted and reinterpreted this is just one version of the story not my favorite but i don't really think it's possible to have a favorite really shakuntala is treated just as badly in all of them let's get into it Koshika, a Surya Vamsi, a descendant of the sun, wanted to become a rishi. So he gave up his material possessions, took the vow of celibacy, and started performing ascetic practices known as tapasya. If successful, he would become more powerful than any man or god. Fearing that Koshika intended to displace him, Indra sent an apsara called Menaka to distract Koshika. Of all the damsels in Amravati, Menaka was the most beautiful. Koshika lost all control of his senses when she danced before him. He abandoned his tapasya, forgot his vow of celibacy, and surrendered to passion. From that union of hermit and nymph was born a girl. The child was abandoned on the forest floor by both her parents, by her father because she represented his monumental failure, and by her mother because she was nothing more than proof of her success. A rishi called Kanva found the abandoned girl under the wings of a flock of shakun birds who had surrounded her. So he named her Shakuntala, she who was found sheltered by birds. Kanva raised Shakuntala as his own daughter in his hermitage in the forest, and she grew up to be a very beautiful and cultured woman. One day Dushyant, descendant of Pururav, arrived at Kanva's hermitage. He was ha- hunting in the forest and wanted to pay his respects to the sage. and maybe rest for a few days in the hermitage unfortunately kanva was away on a pilgrimage so he found himself being welcomed by shakuntala dushyant fell in love with shakuntala instantly marry me he said unable to control his desire ask my father said akoy shakuntala if you wish we could marry as the gandharvs do with the trees as our witness this is allowed by tradition said dushyant the innocent shakuntala smitten by the handsome king agreed so the two got married with the trees as their witness and spent days in the hermitage making love finally it was time for dushyant to return home kanva had still not returned and dushyant could not wait any longer it is not right to take you with me while he is away i will return when he is back he promised many weeks later kanva returned no sooner did he enter his hermitage then he realized his daughter was in love and that she was carrying her beloved's child he was overjoyed both celebrated the event and waited for dushyant to return days turned into weeks weeks turned into months there was no sign of dushyant in due course shakuntala gave birth to a son who was named bharat bharat grew up in the care of kanva and shakuntala father and daughter forgot all about dushyant's promise until bharat one day asked Who is my father? He needs to know," said Kanva. Rather than wait for Dushyant to send an invitation, Kanva felt it was best that Shakuntala go to Dushyant on her own and introduce the boy to his father. Shakuntala agreed 
and with her son by her side ventured out of the forest for the first time as she left the trees gifted her with cloth and flowers and fragrances so that she looked beautiful when she met her beloved again but when shakuntala stood before dushyant and introduced her and her son dushyant showed no sign of recognizing her are there any witnesses of our alleged marriage he asked caustically the trees she said everyone including dushyant laughed shakuntala a simple woman of the forest uncontaminated by the politics of kings and kingdoms was indignant i came here not seeking a husband but to show my son his father i have done so i have raised him as a mother should now i request you to raise him as a father should so saying shakuntala turned her back to dushyant and proceeded for the forest suddenly a voice boomed from the sky admonishing dushyant for doubting shakuntala she was indeed his wife and bharat was indeed his son dushyant apologized for his behavior and blamed it all on his fear of social disapproval he then declared shakuntala his queen and bharat his heir bharat was one of the unique kings who descended from the solar line of kings through his mother shakuntala and from the lunar line of kings through his father dushyant since his descendants ruled all of jambudwipa the rose apple continent of india the land itself was named bharatvarsh or simply bharat after him now that the story is over let's gossip about these characters behind their backs i guess that's basically what studying literature is huh So Dushyant willfully forgets about the existence of Shakuntala to fit better with his own notions of who he was as a king and a person. He cites social disapproval as the reason for his behavior, which makes it clear that his forgetting was about outside perceptions of himself rather than an actual wish to forget. By admitting to marrying her and fathering Shakuntala's child, he is also admitting to the falsification of the past, or rather the existence of an alternate past. one that doesn't allow for the unified future he previously planned on basically the current version of the past is inconvenient for him it doesn't allow him to be the person he wishes to be so he attempts to change it here we see escapism in the form of forgetting specifically forgetting a certain version of the past or a past self to fit in better with the future and with the construction of one's personal narrative as paul demont talks about forgetting not being a passive process we see this on display in a number of ways forgetting is a time honored form of escapism especially now with the covid crisis afoot we see people using media to escape and forget about their problems in a survey about the books and tv shows they are currently consuming a lot of students cited forgetting about the current scenario as one of the main reasons they enjoyed a piece of media I like trashy TV and feel good stuff. It takes my mind off what's going on, says one student. Another says they enjoy comedy to take my mind off things. There is a sense then of forgetting being an integral part of feeling quote unquote normal or functional. This can be seen on a nationalistic level as well. Specifically the way in which the Muslim minority has been vilified by the existing Hindu majority. It's all part of a larger, grander narrative to build the Akhand Bharat of the future. To protect the idea of a unified India, they must first present the idea of a unified India in the past. An idea 
which any person who has studied basic history knows is false and laughable. India has never been a purely Hindu state. There is historic proof of Muslims residing in India even before the Afghan invaders or the Mughal dynasties. Hindu zealots often, wrongly, present mythologies and religious texts such as the Mahabharata to prove that this was a unified Hindu nation before outsiders came to ruin it. Casting oneself as indigenous and others alien is never an innocent act, says James Clifford. The notion of a past unified state is then a classic case of forgetting or willfully ignoring anything that does not fit in with the narrative required to build stories of the future. Most importantly, by indulging in forgetting as escapism, these Hindus will forget the truth or perhaps one version of the truth since history is multifaceted to push their own version of the truth as the one singular truth. As we spoke about earlier, singularity is dangerous. Not only because it ignores other versions, but because it requires a certain misconstruction of the self for the self to ever be seen as one singular whole. The nation is clearly a replacement for the self. Anyone who does not fit in with one version of the nation is immediately termed as the attacking other who wishes to reconstruct the self's own notion of selfhood. By adhering to one version of the past and singularity, the self is able to push aside any attempts by the other and is able to propagate their own narrow notion of a worldview. It's clear that the other is considered dangerous because of the alternate possibilities and because of the power of the act of remembering something which is forgotten. The past is shameful when remembered by somebody other than the self and this shameful past must be erased. Amitabh Ghosh points to this when looking for a shrine in a small village in Mangalore in his book In an Antique Land. When we were still a fair distance away, one of the students pointed towards the lights of the shrine. It looked nothing like any of the simple Bhuta temples that dotted the countryside around Mangalore. It was a large, modern building, modelled after a classical Hindu temple. When we approached it, I noticed that its walls bore the posters of a fundamentalist Hindu political organisation, an upper caste group notorious for its anti-Muslim rhetoric. It was a clear indication that this community, so long relegated to the peripheries of the Hindu order, had now resolved to use a political shortcut to break into the Sanskritic fold. Having transformed its social and economic position, it was now laying claim to the future, in the best tradition of liberalism, by discovering a history to replace the past. The community he is speaking about is on the path to systematically erase all markers of their non-Hindu, non-upper caste past so they can fit in better with the future of India that is being crafted by those currently in power. Forgetting and rewriting the past go hand in hand. The only way to reimagine a past that is concurrent with the vision of the future is to erase all traces of one that is not. This is also visible in multiple fantasy stories where a character, either accidentally or on purpose, forgets their past wholly or in part to help them work towards a better future. A small example is the character of Anastasia from the 20th century Fox movie Anastasia about the Russian aristocrats of the Romanov Empire. The movie traces the path of Anastasia, who, after surviving the Bolshevik Revolution, hits her head against the ground and forgets her identity. She then assumes the identity of Anya, an orphan street sweeper, and maintains this facade, though perhaps it doesn't seem like one to herself, till the interference of outside forces lead to her regaining her memory. 
One could argue that she was suppressing her past trauma by willfully taking part in the forgetting process, as it was easier to imagine herself in the future as a poor, common woman than as the Grand Duchess Anastasia. The end of the movie too adds to this idea. Even after gaining her memory and grandmother, she chooses to live her life as a common person with Dmitri, a common man and a con artist. Clearly, when the choice presented itself to her, she willfully forgot what she had accidentally forgotten years earlier. Forgetting was integral to her ability to build a future unencumbered by the aristocracy. If she did not forget, she would always be haunted by the ghosts of her past, who literally appear as ghosts throughout the movie. especially when she is in the process of remembering her past while anastasia is a case of accidental turning into willful forgetting a more solid example is the case of smeagol aka gollum from the lord of the rings he enters the narrative in the hobbit as a cave dwelling creature somewhat grotesque and devoid of sympathetic qualities his only joy in life stems from his association with the infamous one ring the ring renders its wearer invisible but also attaches itself to the ring bearers as the ones who possessed the ring were called soul golem's long association with the ring made him more and more senile and grotesque bilbo too described his own association of possessing the ring as i feel thin sort of stretched like butter scraped over too much bread possessing the ring did no favors for any of its bearers but especially not for golem before becoming the ring bearer he was smeagol part of a race of river dwelling creatures similar to the burrow living hobbits he obtained the ring by murdering his own cousin and thus began his descent into madness when he speaks of the ring how he came to possess it he always refers to it as a gift he truly believed it was a present that was given to him this is because he willfully forgets the macabre past of how he came to obtain the ring He forgets about his past identity as Smeagol and is only able to define himself as Gollum. That curious sound he makes when he speaks. Smeagol, along with any other association with his past, is long since dead. Don't ask Smeagol. Poor, poor Smeagol. He went away long ago. They took his precious and he's lost now says Gollum when asked to discuss his past and let's all just ignore that bad accent and move on please he defines himself only in terms of his relationship with the ring and so it is necessary for him to forget about his past life as Smeagol to truly become the owner of the ring it would be impossible for him to imagine a future with the power afforded by the ring without reimagining the past and painting it so he came by the ring through legal means Although he forgets his entire identity as Smeagol, perhaps because the Smeagol that he was couldn't possibly possess the ring in the same way that Gollum of the present does, it is more noteworthy that he forgets exactly how he came about the ring in the first place. He needs to forget about the murder he committed to gain the ring, because then he can justify that the ring truly belongs to him. Although, arguably, the ring only passes from one owner to another through an act of violence. In his case it was murder and in Bilbo's case it was deceit by asking a riddle that was never truly a riddle. So by forgetting the the method of obtaining the ring Gollum is perhaps forgetting the thing that could be his downfall. The forgetting is for self-preservation but still ultimately managed to hurt him in the end. He was hoist with his own petard as our good friend Shakespeare would say. 
Dushyant too experienced his fall, albeit in a less extreme manner, when Shakuntala and her son returned to haunt him. Presumably, it was somewhat embarrassing for him when he had to admit to the wedding in the trees to the members of his court. But it would have been even less embarrassing to have been upfront and avoid the courtroom drama that came with avoiding Shakuntala in the first place. Men, although it hasn't quite happened yet, one can hope that this act of forgetting and reinventing pasts in our modern Indian context also lead to some some repercussions for the Hindus perpetuating the harmful falsehood. of a unified nation in the past by forgetting the existence of thousands of peoples and cultures that do not fit in with their very upper caste hindu ideology of what india is they seem to be forgetting the very things that would presumably make india a great nation in the first place its diversity by presenting a unified india in the past they are willfully forgetting about the parts about the parts and pieces that lead to the end product of the country Paul Demand describes these pieces as fragments. He says that each fragment in its entirety could in fact have been have more value than a forcibly created whole that ignores the parts in the process. This form of escapism could perhaps be considered even more dangerous than revenge because as we discussed in the last episode, revenge ultimately leads to the self being hurt more than the other. But this act of forgetting seems to manifest itself in more apparent outward methods. and thus harms all those who need to be cleansed or forgotten to adhere to the once again singular narrative of togetherness even simba from the lion king is guilty of willful forgetting remember who you are simba the ghost of his father reminds him as he attempts to escape his problems by living in paradise with timon and pumba he wants to forget who he was because his past identity is fractured He is not just Simba the son of Mufasa he is also according to himself Simba the murderer of Mufasa the two identities are not reconcilable in any way and so he allows them both to fall away these are fragments of himself not worth remembering instead he creates a whole new identity Simba the lost boy the carefree insect eater yum yum he could have created any identity and it would have suited him just fine as long as the identity did not have layers remembering simba the son means remembering simba the murderer as well the only way to reclaim one identity is to reclaim the other as well he can no longer exist with a single sense of selfhood he must embrace the fractures if he wishes to actually know himself and by accepting the broken pieces of himself he is able to piece together the pride lands even it can only exist as a whole nation if they are willing to remember a discontinuous non-singular past wholeness and singularity here are two different things wholeness is never obtained on the quest for singularity but is rather something that comes out of remembering fractured past it's interesting to consider this metaphor of the nation when considering the very existence of shakuntala and dushyant's son in this story bharat is a unique king who descended from both the solar and lunar line of kings As a result, the entire region he ruled was and still is called Bharat after him. So the simple act of remembering a fractured and unwhole past is what led to the creation of a whole nation in the first place. So, arguably, it is the act of remembering which will lead to a form of the wholeness that so many of these akhand Bharat patriots are searching for. Except it is not a wholeness in the same way that they are imagining it. It is a wholeness that is very clearly placed as the result of a fractured past. 
a wholeness that works with Paul Dumas's ideas concerning fragmentation. The Patriots wish for a past that was never broken, while Dumas's ideas allow us to think of a fragmented and broken past as something that can exist that way without being pieced together. Dumas asks us to remember the fragments in themselves, which in turn allows us to envision another form of wholeness concerning the nation. Gollum too could have theoretically aided the fellowship and himself by recognizing and remembering his story by himself by remembering that the ring was obtained through an act of violence and by considering who he was before and after obtaining the ring and understanding how the possession changed him he could have also helped pinpoint that which was slightly off or inherently evil about the ring in itself although the stories deal slightly differently with the idea of forgetting They all deal ultimately with the idea of forgetting as a form of escapism. Forgetting could in fact be termed as the ultimate form of escapism since it allows the forgetter to completely erase parts of their own narrative, whatever parts cause them pain or question their own idea of their selfhood. Forgetting as an individual act is unfortunate, but clearly when considering the nation, forgetting as a collective act to aid in the quest for singularity has very real, very harmful repercussions. for tuning in to listen to me ramble on and on and on about what was it i can't seem to recall right forgetting anyway get excited for next episode where i'll try and imitate various bird calls <laughs> <laughs>